We're in a series simply entitled Perspectives. Perspectives. A perspective is how I see something, how I view it. And I've talked a lot about this in the series. This is the last week of the series. But my perspectives in life are going to govern and shape my life, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. So if, if I can take on God's perspective and see things the way he does and see different topics the way he does, then I can have his blessing and his results in my life. And we talked about four different things, and today I want to finish this series. But I want to, I want to come back to a simple topic. I, I kind of brushed by this the first week, and a good friend in the church sent me an email and said, hey, you, you, you might want to finish up on this. And I thought, well, who do you think you are telling me what I need to preach? <laughs> and then I texted back and I said, Steve, maybe I'll get to that. Well, Steve, today I am going to get to that. All right? Because he was right and it, it ties in. But, you know, we, we come to Christ and when we, when we come to him, when we bring our life to him, uh, he accepts us. But then we have to figure out not just how do we view God as our heavenly father, but we need to understand how he sees us. Because understanding how he sees us changes the way I respond to him. So today, I want to look at a familiar story. I'm going to break it into three parts. I'm going to move pretty quickly. And then I'm going to give you some stuff about this story at the end today. So the first part of this message, look at, let's look at the story in Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. The story of the prodigal Son. Let's read the whole story together one section at a time. Verse 11. Jesus said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them or to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions wasted 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 look at that word for a moment he got to this far country and he wasted his possessions the the picture it gives us in the original writings is like taking wheat and taking a, a a big shovel if you will a winnowing fan and throwing it up into the air and everything just blowing away in the breeze that's really how it describes what he did he lived in such a way where there were no boundaries. Everything was just thrown up in the air and he ran in all directions at once. A little bit out of control. And some of you can nod your head and say, yeah, I've been there and I've done that. But let's look on. There he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Literally means he lived in such a way that he had no moral restraint. He rejected all morality, all law of God, and he just went and did what he wanted to do. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. Now let, let's pause here. We'll come back to the story in a moment. The first part of this story is really about revolt. I don't want to live in 
my father's house anymore. I don't want to live under his rule. Give me, kind of sounds like a lot of people in our world today. Life's been unfair. Give me, I deserve this. Give me and I'm going to go do what I want to do. Isn't that really the story that we've all lived at some point in time in our lives? Give me, I want to go do my own thing. We revolt against God. We sin against God. We live the life we want to live. And we walk away from all of God's laws, all common sense, to please ourselves. You know, for all of us, revolt is expressed in a lot of different ways. For some of us, it was big things, big ways. For some of us, it was small ways. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and missed the mark. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. So when I begin to read about the prodigal and his story, I'm reading some of my story too. But you know, regardless how we revolt, our sin brings a death sentence upon us. Because Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. And the interesting thing is, even when we're living in revolt, we know we may be pleasing ourselves, we may be living an immoral life, and we want more of it, but we know there's a death sentence of guilt that hangs over our lives. But then let's read a little further. The second part of the story, verse 17. So here he is in the pig pen, feeding the pigs, but it says, but when he came to himself... When he came to himself, he said, now now stop here a moment. We're talking about perspectives. This young man had a perspective on life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live the easy life. I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to have a great time. But it ended up in a bad place. And he came to his senses. What happened was he had a change of perspective. Seeing what he had done and where it put him, his perspective on life began to change. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I'm starving to death. Verse 18, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise and go to my father and I'm going to say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy. Now notice that word. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So pause here again. The first part of this story is about revolt. But then the second part of this story is about an awakening, a change of perspective that brought about repentance. And again, as we read this story, isn't this our story? There came a day when we realized, wait a minute, I've been going all about this all the wrong way. I've been living my way. I've been trying to please myself and please others. And here I am in this mess. It's time for me to go back to God. I love what Jesus said when he came to his senses. 
How many can remember a day when you were living beyond your senses? You were living in a way that's like, my goodness, how in the world did I ever get here? But there came a day of awakening when you realized this is not the road. There's a better road and I'm going to go back home and I'm just going to lay my life before God. And you know what? I'm not even worthy of his blessing, but I'm going to go back home anyway because it's better than this place. You know, just as revolt comes in many different ways, awakening happens in different ways. But generally speaking, awakening comes when we find ourselves in some kind of pig pen. Even if it's the pig pen of guilt, of shame, embarrassment, pain, and especially unworthiness. I hate it here, but I don't deserve to go back home. You see, repentance begins with an awakening. And repentance is fulfilled when we come to God and we face our failures and our sin. When we face what we've done and how we've lived. You know, as a teenager, I remember some of my revolt. Yes, believe it or not, I had a little bit of a revolt against God. I haven't been like Jesus forever. That's supposed to be funny in case you didn't get it. Somebody said, yeah, I know you. You're sometimes not like Jesus now, but he's working on me, okay? That's part of the series. But here's what I want you to see. When I was a teenager, I I went through a time, because of my church background, my upbringing, I went through a time where I was trying to figure out what is life? What is it about? What am I going to do? What do I want to do? They tell me I got to do this to be happy and I got to do this to please God, but I want to please me. I went through my time of revolt against God. As a young adult, I went my road trying to find my way, which was going to be a good way, but it really wasn't God's way. But I remember one day when I looked around and realized there's got to be something better than this. And so I just went back to God and laid it all down before him and just spread it all out and got on my knees and said, God, there it is. I don't know what's next, but I come back home and I don't know where to go and how to go. Please help me. See, God honors that kind of broken, honest heart. I see this boy coming back home and he realized, man, I've squandered so much money. I just threw it in the air and it blew all directions. And I, and I did some really immoral things. I did some ugly things. and I've ruined my reputation. Man, there's no telling what people think about me, especially back home. They've got to look down their noses at me. And my dad, I don't know what my dad's going to think, but you know what? I'll just go home and be a servant because it's better than living in this pig pen. We've all had that awakening moment when we know we don't want to be here, but we're not sure how the Father is going to see us if we go back home. Let's look at the last part of this story. Verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The father said, you know what? Cheer up. It's time for us to have a party. We've been hurting and longing for him to come home. He's come home. It's time to get that long look off your face and be happy. My son is here. Then he said this in verse 24. For this my son was dead, but he's alive again. 
He was lost, but now he's found. So they begin to be merry. And one more time, isn't this our story too? We came back to God and he opened his arms and he received us. You know, repentance brings us face to face with our sin and our past. But it also brings us face to face with God and his grace. You know, I only read half of Romans 6.23 earlier. Romans 6.23, the first part says, the wages of sin is death. When you come back to God, you know what you deserve. But the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, see, when we come face to face with our sin and our past and we come back to the Father for help, we can find grace no matter what the past looks like. And then God begins to work in us to change how we see ourselves and how we see him and how we see our future. You know, I never grow weary of describing the father of the prodigal. Man, I, I love it. Every time I talk about it, it just grabs my heart. Because you see, dad's not out in the fields. He's not on the back porch giving orders to the servants. The father's on the front porch looking down the road every day, looking to see if his son's coming home. I remember that day when I came and said, God, I need your help. And I found he was right there looking for me. And he came running toward the prodigal. He ran out and meet him and fell on his shoulder with compassion and began to weep and say, my son has come home. Let me tell you something. When you decide to come home to God, his heart leaps with joy and compassion and he runs out and embraces you. And he says, first thing, I am so glad you've come home. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. Jesus said in John chapter three, this moment, this moment is a new birth. This reconciling to God, this reconciliation, it's a new birth where we step out of an old, dry, dead existence and we step into a brand new life that's new to us. Second Corinthians 5 tells us when this happens, we become a new creation. That what we were is changed and now we're something different and new and we get to step into this new life with Christ. But I've said all of this in the first part of my message to come to the second part of my message. So when we come to God, when the prodigal comes home, how does God see us? First week of this series, I've talked about how we should see God. We should see him as a loving, heavenly father. But I think a lot of us have a hard time doing that. Because we're not yet convinced of how God sees us. And how can I see him one way when I'm not sure he reciprocates and he sees me the same way? So let's just take a couple minutes and let's look at this perspective. How does the father see us? Well, I'm going to look at what this prodigal father did. How he responded. Four things in the next few minutes. I'm going to show you how God sees us. Romans chapter 8, there's a verse of scripture. It's Romans 8, 29. And 
There's a whole teaching here where a lot of the church world gets lost in debate and argument because they miss the point. Okay? But I'm going to show this to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. In the middle of the statement, here's what Paul writes. For whom he foreknew, speaking of God, for whom God foreknew, he also predestined, notice the words, to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now think about that for a minute. See, most of the church world gets lost in the fourth word, whom God foreknew, for whom he foreknew. They argue about it, they fuss about it, they fight about it. Can I tell you something today? Let's just set that aside for a moment and let's get the point that he's trying to make here. When we come to God and he receives us and he knows us, he predestines us Notice the words, to be conformed to the image of his son. It says that God decides to make us like Jesus. So when I come to God, what does he start doing? He starts working to make me like Jesus. He starts changing my heart and changing my mind toward him by showing me who he is and what he is and what he thinks about me. But here's the interesting thing. Put that verse back up there. I'm not finished yet. I love to pick on the people back there in the booth. I love it. He also, now notice the words, he also predestined to be conformed. When you think of to be conformed, you think of something in process and something in the future. The interesting thing is in the original writings, in in most of your Bibles, if you look there, the words to be are in italics, which means the interpreters put those words in there. What it literally says is, whom he foreknew, he also predestined conformed to the image of his son. Which means when we come to him and he embraces us and we embrace him, he doesn't start to see us as Jesus. He sees us as Jesus. He sees us sinless. He sees us spotless. He throws aside our past and says, it doesn't matter what you used to be. All that matters is there's a brand new life and we're going to pursue that life together. That's what it says. And we get so caught arguing about the word foreknew. How many of this house know God today? You can lift your hand and say, I know that I know God. I've come to him. Then God sees you conformed to the image of his son. He sees you spotless like Jesus. Pardon me for getting excited, okay? I get just a little bit excited when I start running over these old things that get in people's way. But, but here's, here's the interesting part. Four things. This father turned to his servants and said, go get the best robe. Go get the best robe and I want to put it on him. That robe speaks of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, one of the problems people have in life is they're always remembering their past. Memory is a wonderful thing, but there are times when memory is a curse. And when we come to God, we tend to struggle with our guilt. Now, let's pause here for just a moment. We tend to struggle with our guilt. It's true. 
Some of you have been walking with God for years and you still struggle with what you did 10 years ago. And you think, how could God love me? How could he love me? Can I tell you how he loves you? He comes and he puts the righteousness that Jesus paid for on the cross. He puts that robe on you and he says, it doesn't matter what you used to be. I have justified all of that. It's been paid for. It is gone. You put your faith in the blood of Jesus. You are no longer unrighteous. You are no longer a sinner. You are no longer lost in sin. You are now righteous in my sight, in my robe. My robe of righteousness is on you. See, a lot of us struggle because we're always trying to put on our own robe of righteousness. This is good preaching right here. I got to tell you, Ann and I are going on a missions trip this week. We're going to be gone a few days. And I'm going to be preaching. We're going to be, she's going to be doing a women's conference in Israel. I'm going to be preaching in Israel to Russian-speaking Jews, believe it or not, in Israel. Uh, so we got to learn Russian the next three days, how to speak that. <laughs> so we got some work to do. Uh, all I know so far is Niet and Putin. That's all I know so far. So I got a lot to learn. Uh, and then we're going... Uh, we're going to, well, never mind. Anyway, we're going to be preaching several times. I don't want to take time with it. So I'm not going to get preached to you guys, so I'm going to let it all out today because you won't hear from me for a few days, okay? But we get so busy trying to put on our robe of righteousness, make ourselves righteous. In the Old Testament in Isaiah, God said, you know what? Your righteousness in my sight is filthy rags. You can't make yourself righteous. You can follow me, you can walk with me, but I'm the only one who can make you righteous. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can wash away your sin. The only thing that can remove the guilt from the past is the blood of Jesus. So when you come to God, you need to stop and take your arms and put them out and say, here, put your robe on me. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because it's the only thing that makes us pure and sinless and righteous in the sight of God. So how does God see you? He sees you as righteous, which means right, pure, without sin, without spot. Oh, no, 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 no. You know what I said the other day? You know what? Put it under the blood of Jesus. Accept your forgiveness. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We are right in the sight of God. We're sinless. Turn to somebody and say, if you believe in Jesus, you're sinless. Come on, you need to say it louder than that, like you, like you believe it. If you put your faith in the blood of Jesus, we, we partook of communion this morning. We drank the cup. Why? Because that cup has washed away our sins. Because of that, God sees us as righteous. So those of you who are struggling with the guilt of the past, forget about it. Forget about it. It's under the blood of Jesus. Forget about it. It's gone. Second thing that he does he goes and gets the family signet ring and puts it on his son's hand. See, I don't know if the boy lost his ring on the journey. Probably pawned it. You may have seen him on that show from Las Vegas, the Pawn Stars. There. <laughs> but he came back home and dad said, man, I've been waiting on you. I had one more ring made because I knew you were coming someday. So here's, here's the family ring. You see... We carry this identity. Well, I've lived 60 years and I've been this way. Or I've lived 25 years and I've been this way. And now I come to God and it's like, I don't know who I am. 
Romans 8, 15. I used this a few weeks ago when I talked about the Father. He wants us to come to him and climb up in his lap and say, Abba, Father, you're my dear Father. What we miss is he throws his arms around us and says, and you are my dear child. That's how he sees us. And he says, here, you've been struggling with your identity, not knowing who you are and what you are. Let me put my ring on your finger. And if anybody asks you who you are and they start talking about what you used to be, just hold it up and say, no, I used to be that, but this is what I am now. I'm a child of God. I'm in communion with the heavenly father. That's who I am. Man, I didn't know this was going to be this good. This is good. And we come to God and we struggle with our identity. And I've been in church my whole life. And there, there seems to be this, and it's, it's natural, but there seems to be this silly, foolish hierarchy in church where I've been serving God 40 years. You've only been serving God 40 days. So I am, and you are. Can I tell you something? That's foolishness. If you're wearing the ring, you're wearing the ring. If you're in the family, you're in the family. If you gave your heart to Jesus this morning, I'm going to tell you something. You're a child of God. He put his ring on your finger. He's got his robe on your shoulders. It's time for you to say, Father God, teach me how to live like I'm a part of the family of God. Because that's what's next. His ring's on your finger. You've got his identity now. Well, yeah, but I I ran into some people the other day and they said, oh yeah, we remember you. We remember where you used to hang out. You used to hang out with that group of guys and gals that hung out at such and such a place. And yeah, oh no, 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 no. That's not me anymore. I got a different ring on my finger now. I'm wearing the father's ring now. I'm his child. My identity has changed. He sees us with his identity, so we need to accept that. Literally, Scripture says in Romans 8, Jesus became the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So if he's the firstborn, it doesn't matter if I'm the 1,048th born. I'm still a brother and a sister in Christ. I'm still a child of God. And I need to see myself the way he sees me. Oh, this is good today. Hey, everybody, hold up your hand like this, okay? All five fingers. Come on, don't anybody get vulgar in church. Hold up all five fingers. Reach up and grab that ring finger. Say, this is who I am in Christ. I'm a child of the Father. Turn and tell somebody, I'm a child of the Father, and I've got his ring on my finger. Amen. Third thing. Third thing. Next thing he does, he says, hey, Bring out some new shoes. Let's put some new shoes on his feet. Now, obviously, this guy had been in the pig pen. He'd probably messed up his shoes or pawned them also because he wore Doc Martens, and they're worth a few bucks. And he probably dropped them off and got some money at the secondhand store, and Corey went and bought them a couple <laughs> weeks later. And, and I'm working on Corey, but the foolishness of Corey, he would do that and then wear those, somebody else's shoes with no socks. I'm working on him. Pray for him. That's right. You never know where those feet, they may have been in the pig pen, Corey. You need to think about that. Lost my whole, lost the whole audience there. But here's the point. This guy had been some pretty ugly places. Can you imagine how filthy his feet were? Walking home barefooted from a far country, having been with the pigs, dirty, filthy, 
And his father said, come on, let's clean him up. Let's put new shoes on his feet. Romans 6 says that when we come to Christ, we're buried with him in baptism. We are raised into a brand new life. So here's the cool thing. A lot of us struggle with this new life because we keep trying to earn God's favor and earn God's grace. We keep trying to do things to make ourselves good enough. But he himself puts new shoes on our feet and says, here, I'll teach you how to walk in this new life. See, that's why I said earlier, I don't care how long you've been saved, 40 days or 40 years, doesn't matter to God. He puts his ring on his finger, he puts his robe on your back, and then he puts shoes on your feet and says, here, I will help you learn how to walk this new life. See, some of us think, well, I I can't live this life. Yes, you can, because God will help you. He'll put his shoes on your feet. Doesn't mean you're not going to stumble on occasion. But it means when you do, you turn back to him and he says, here, let's tighten those shoes up. Let me tie, the, they came untied here. Let me tighten them up a little bit. Come on, let's get back in there. Let's start walking in this new life. It's amazing how many people I've met through the years who've stopped trying to walk with God because they think they can't do it. Yes, you can. One day at a time. One mistake at a time. One forgiveness at a time. One jumping back up on your feet and saying, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. One day at a time, God will help you walk with him. His grace will be upon you for your future. He sees you and says, come on, you're my child. See, some of us struggle because, use an analogy, God puts training wheels on us. And we get embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed if God puts training wheels on you. It's for your own good. Because if you learn to navigate with those training wheels, before long he takes those training wheels off and says, okay, now you can walk a lot stronger than you used to walk. Because I'll put my shoes on your feet. And I'll help you walk this new life. Then the last thing is he says, we're going to kill the fatty calf. We're going to have a party. Now, some of you think, well, you know, life isn't always a party. Stay with me. My son's come home. We're going to celebrate. I thought he was dead. He's alive. Did you know when you come to God, he is so excited that all of heaven begins to rejoice? Only thing we know for sure that the angels rejoice over is when sinners come home. That's what the Bible says. As far as we know, the only time they have a party in heaven is when somebody comes back and says, Father, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm here. And he says, welcome home. Heaven erupts with praise. The father said, we're going to have a party. One of the things I've learned that has hurt so many people is they feel and they live with this sense of unworthiness. I'm unworthy of God doing any more for me. He, He forgave me. He, 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 put a, he tried to put a robe on me, but I didn't deserve that. And he tried to put his ring on my finger, and I, I couldn't deserve that. He tried to put shoes on my feet, and I didn't deserve that. So I'm just going to go through life barefoot and naked trying to make my way because I don't deserve the rest of it. All I, if I can just get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be okay. That's not how God sees you. He sees you with that robe on. He sees you with his ring on, on your finger. He sees his shoes on your feet. 
Then he turns around and says, all the blessings of heaven, start turning them loose on my child's life. You see, this blessing, this party, doesn't, didn't last for a day. It lasts for eternity. It lasts for eternity. Some of us live our lives saying, well, I, I wish I could have more, but I'm just not worthy of it, or it's just not God's will. That's a bunch of nonsense. Here's what Jesus said in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will put you in the pig pen, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Come on, child, I've got more for you. Every day of your life, I'll put my blessing in your life. That's his message to his children. And you know what I think he says? It's the last thing. I think the last thing he says is, you like this party? Well, get used to it because I'm going to do new things every morning in your life. I've got new mercies, new blessings every single day that you live because you are my child. Two things in closing. Number one, some of us today have never come to that place and said, I'm coming home. Some of us are down the road a ways and we're trying to decide. And right now, you can hear the father from a distance saying, come on home, come on home. And you're realizing he's waiting for me. Today, we're going to give you a chance to come home. Second thing, some of us have come home, but we're sitting in the house. And we're afraid to acknowledge we've got the robe, we've got the ring, we've got the shoes. It's time to start living in the party, enjoying the blessings of God. So I'm going to pray. Bow your heads. Maybe you're here today, and like I said, you've never joined the party. You've never come home. But you're sitting there right now, and you're realizing, God's calling my name. He's calling my name. He wants to forgive me. He wants to cleanse me of my past. He wants to take the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and wash away my sins and make me his child. And you realize, I want to come home today. I want to know God. I want to have this new life. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. I'm going to ask you to wrap your heart and your faith around this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today and I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I'm hurting. I'm embarrassed. I'm living in a world that I don't want to live in. I, I, I want to come home. So I ask you to forgive me. I want to be your child. Put your robe on my shoulders. Put your ring on my finger and your shoes on my feet. Change the way that I see myself and change the way that you see me. Because I need Jesus today to become my Savior and my Lord. I want to learn your ways. I want to follow you. And I want to live in your blessings every single day of my life. So I come to you now. And I ask for your help. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. While heads are still bowed, one more prayer. Father, for every person in this house, help us to understand how you see us. Help us to understand the righteousness, the identity, the purpose you have for us. Help us to understand our place and help us to change our hearts to realize that your blessings are coming more and more and more every single day. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Now, everybody, just before we change the order of service, a couple things. That first prayer, if you prayed that prayer today, if you've been the prodigal or you've never come back home, 
and you're not even sure, I'm not sure how to start this journey. Well, we just started the journey, but it, that prayer is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. You appreciate it. So here's the thing. If you prayed that prayer today and you've given your heart to the Lord, that's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. We want to help you on your journey. we got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. We want to put it in your hands. When service is over, there'll be some prayer teams at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. We'd love to put that booklet in your hand. If you just walk down and say, give me the booklet, we'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you've got questions, we can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, we'd love to pray with you. But please, let us put this in your hand. If you're in a really big rush out in the lobby as you exit right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a table set up there. You see the screen overhead the next seven days. You can get the same booklet there. We'd love to get you started walking with God. God bless you today. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? Last thing. As your pastor, I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. God's put us in a good place because he's faithful and because you're faithful in your giving. There are different ways you can give. If you're new to the Bridge Church, we have different options. If you're giving a, a physical gift today, there are envelopes in the back of the chairs. There's a giving station on each side of these doors as you exit the auditorium. There's also one in the children's check-in area. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. And here's the beauty of it. We make it worship to God. We do it in faith. But yet God blesses us. And I just want to say thank you for understanding God's word and committing to him. We are making a difference in our community and around the world. So God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness week by week by week. Have you enjoyed being in God's house today? Hey, I love you. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday.